Good afternoon and welcome to episode 22 of the Elevated Life Podcast. I am Noelle Quirrell and today we're going to be talking about healing heart disease naturally. This is a topic that I feel very strongly about. I actually just recorded a whole episode on this topic and came to find out after I was done recording uh, that it didn't record. (laughs) So I just did a great episode, but none of it recorded, so I'm doing it again. Uh, And I want to talk about heart disease because obviously this affects many, many people, if not most people, and heart disease is basically the same thing as cancer and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and it's basically and diabetes it's kind of all the same thing so I'll kind of repeat the same premise that I always talk about which is all disease has the same two root causes which is chronic nutritional deficiencies and chronic cellular toxicity so if you understand that all disease needs those two factors to be in place for disease to occur, then you'll, you, you begin to realize that it doesn't matter what the disease is or the name of the collection of symptoms is, it just matters what do you do about it and what is the cause of it. I mean, what, what are you doing that's causing nutritional deficiencies and cellular toxicity? So a lot of people compartmentalize healing. So they believe for sure they could heal one thing but they don't think they could heal another thing when it comes to the body. So for sure, if I cut my arm, I'll, it will heal because it will form a scab and the skin will repair and it will heal. But if I hurt my liver, will my liver really heal? Uh, probably not because it's the liver and will the liver heal? And, and it kind of goes like that. So when I'm working with people in a healing program, there's a lot of fears and doubts that come up for people because they're basically they're basically basically heading into uncharted territory. They're doing something they've never done before to get results they've never had before. And that's scary for anybody, no matter what it is. And so part of my job, part of my role is to facilitate belief and and faith in this process because of the amount of people that I've witnessed be able to heal and reverse things, I have a lot of belief and faith in people's ability to heal way more than they do very often. So let's talk about heart disease and why very often people don't believe they could actually heal their heart. So if you think about the heart, it's just a muscle and you think about the blood vessels and the arteries, they're all just made of cells, just like our entire body is trillions of cells. And so if you understand that for the heart to heal, it needs the proper amount of oxygen and blood flow consistently, which obviously means that our arteries and veins need to be clear. And our heart muscle needs to be exercised like any other muscle in our body, or it gets weaker. You know, if we don't exercise the heart muscle um, on a regular basis, it becomes weaker. So there's lots of things that go into play, uh, into creating a healthy heart, a healthy cardiovascular system. Now, a lot of people have been diagnosed with mitral valve prolapse, which is very common. Really about five to 10% of the population is estimated to have mitral valve prolapse. 
uh, or other conditions, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, other things with the valves or, you know, arteries. And what a lot of people don't understand is, is this is stuff that's actually repairable by the body. It's not repairable by the body if you don't give the body what it needs to repair. So obviously, if we keep doing the things that cause the problem, the problem will not go away. But if we, if we put in things that are the solution to the problem, then the problem will go away. So if you feed the body high density nutrients and it has the ability to get rid of toxins out of the cells, then it will be able to repair tissues and cells and valves. And it's just amazing how that happens. They've done thousands of studies to show that the heart can repair and heal, even even in cases where they thought it was impossible, even, even in cases where medical teams thought it would never happen. So you have somebody, let's say, on a heart transplant list, and in the meantime, you're teaching them meditation and giving them high-density nutrients and giving them a lot of uh, nutritional supplementation of the right kind. And lo and behold, you give them a little bit of exercise and they start to get stronger and stronger and stronger till next thing you know, they're off the heart transplant list and they're basically healing their bodies. Now, interesting about the heart cells, heart cells replace and repair and regenerate at a different rate than other cells in the body. Just like all cells in our body replace and repair and regenerate at different rates. So if you take heart cells, they do replace at a slightly slower rate. It depends on which cells we're talking about too, because there's lots of different cells that make up a heart. So when it comes to healing the heart, you always want to create as many good stem cells as possible. And the body can, there's lots of nutrients that help facilitate stem cell regeneration in the body. One of those nutrients is niacin, another is CoQ10, and there's magnesium. There's a lot of things that really facilitate heart healing and heart repair, even for a damaged heart, even for somebody who's had a heart attack, even for somebody who has uh, weak valves, there's all sorts of scenarios with the heart where the heart will repair and heal. Remember, you just need to give the body the right amount of nutrients that it needs in order to be able to do that job. Now let's talk about, for a second, let's talk about a friend of mine. Um, I have a very, very close friend, 43 years of age. She had uh, a major heart attack a few months ago. This is somebody I've known for 20 years and she's actually a very good friend. I mean, we've been through a lot very close friend, not, not an acquaintance, but a very, very close friend. Uh, I'm five years older than her. And now this is somebody who admittedly will tell you she's pretty much a go, go, go person. She's the kind of person that doesn't say no to anything or anybody. She likes to help people out. She's very thoughtful. She's very concerned with others. She's always the first person that wants to help somebody. So she volunteers, she overextends, she works full time, she has two children. So she's the person that will volunteer for everything beyond different clubs and groups and um, extracurricular activities and does everything, all the sports for her kids and throws parties, goes to party. I mean, just you name it. She, her, if, if I told you a typical daily schedule for her, you'd be exhausted just listening to it. And she is that kind of person. Now, do you know those kind of people? Do you know the people that run 100 miles an hour 24-7? Do you know those people? Or are you perhaps one of those people? 
Now, here's a caveat to this story. I want to talk about my husband and I. My husband tends to be, he's not that person, but he definitely has a lot of energy and he definitely could easily go 100 miles an hour if he didn't have different beliefs about that or different mindset about it. He doesn't do that because he doesn't, he's learned ways to not do that. He's learned ways to live a calmer life. Now, I don't do that naturally. I'm not that person. I like to, I like to have a more relaxed lifestyle. So I've never been the person that overextends or over volunteers or says yes to too many things. I like to have a pretty relaxed day. So I try not to over schedule my day. I try not to over commit to anything. And I've been doing that for years, probably 20 years. Um, it's just the way I function best. I don't function best when I'm overly stressed out. So I like to create a calm lifestyle for myself. And my husband does the same thing. It's just he tends to do a little more with his day, like maybe run around more, be more, you know, expend more energy. But we have gone out of our way to design our day to be like that. We work for ourselves and we, 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 we live a lifestyle that we, I think a lot of people maybe would like to live and maybe not, but probably a lot of people would go, well, how do you live a lifestyle like that? You know, we just have created it. We've made it a priority. We just, we just believe in making things happen that you believe in. So my, my friend lives a different type of lifestyle. Her and her husband both, you know, they, they're very, very stressed out. They have very stressful jobs and careers. They work a lot. They work full time for, for other people. And basically, you know, they have a very stressed out lifestyle. And plus they, in this last year alone, they moved and they went through a lot of high stress events. And I want to talk a little bit about what led up to my friend's heart attack, because initially, the average person might have been like, how could this have happened to her? She looks so healthy. She's not overweight. She exercises here and there. Um, on the outside, you would think, I just, it doesn't make any sense why this would happen to her. How could somebody like this have a heart attack at the age of 43? She's not even overweight. And I'm going to tell you, I was surprised also to hear this happen to her. Of course, I was concerned, but at the same time, when I, because I know her so well and I know what her day is like and I know what her lifestyle is like and I know some of the self-destructive things that she, unbeknownst to her self-destructive things that she's been doing for many, many years that have led to this, it didn't, it wasn't overly surprising once, you know, I really thought about all those things. And leading up to her heart attack, heart attack there was a certain chain of events that occurred that occur with most heart attack victims, which is... Her heart attack occurred in the morning, which is what happens most of the time with heart attacks. Uh, the She was coming off of a three-day, very, very high-energy, stressful event that she was hosting. She had been tra she had traveled out of town for it. She was very excited about it, it and but, but it was nonstop, and her adrenaline was going the whole time. And then the third thing is she got the heart attack on the very first day of her period. Her menstrual cycle began... Um, on the day she got a heart attack. Now, I have always known that there is a correlation between hormone levels and heart attacks for women. And most, and many, many, uh, do, you know, functional medicine doctors and bioidentical hormone doctors also know the correlation. But I was, 
you know, I figured this correlation out years ago when I would read stories about a woman who would have a heart attack out of the blue and it was always on the first day of her period. Now, any woman knows that the first day of your period or the day before your period, your hormones seem to be the most wonky and most women will know what that's like. Your, your premenstrual symptoms are usually at their worst the day before your period or the morning of your period. And you know, that's because progesterone is at its lowest and progesterone is kind of that calming hormone and it kind of helps keep things in balance and, and estrogen levels go, go up and all sorts of things happen the first day of your period. So um, it creates a perfect storm because those hormones are very, very important in keeping our blood vessels relaxed and keeping our adrenaline levels and cortisol levels even. And so uh, if you're prone to having a heart attack, you know, unfortunately, a lot of women who do get heart attacks at a young age, they'll get them the first day of their period. Now, what happened with my friend is all those three factors took place. Um, and her cortisol levels, because of the adrenaline she'd been running off of for three or four days, and even at probably longer, because leading up to this event that she had traveled to, she was real excited about and hosting, leading up to that event, she was having a lot of excitement and adrenaline about it, getting everything together. So it's not that surprising that this happened. Um, on the morning she was flying back from this event. Anyway, when she ended up having a heart attack and I reached out to her husband immediately, it was a very serious situation. They diagnosed her as having SCAD, which is called, uh, the acronym is SCAD, uh, Spontaneous Coronary Arterial Dissection, which means that basically her arteries kind of fell apart. It's a very rare condition they blame it on genetics. I'm going to talk about that in a second, though. Uh, those, you know, they blame a lot on genetics, which kind of takes the responsibility off of people. It's like telling somebody oh, you had nothing to do with it. There's nothing you did that caused this, which is not the case. There's always something you're doing. There's always something you're doing that's contributing. Um, again, very often you don't know what that you're doing it. You don't know what it is, but there is something you're doing. It's, this doesn't happen because of a fluke. It's because a perfect storm is occurring that these genes get turned on. These, these unhealthy genes get turned on and they produce these side effects. And for her, in her case, basically her arteries sort of kind of fell apart. So they're, they're, what they had to do is put stents in her arteries, but the stents um, at Boca Raton Community Hospital uh, they put stents in, but the stents didn't really hold the arteries open very well because the arteries were so thin, thin and flimsy and kind of falling apart. So she, they ended up transferring her to University of Miami uh, because they, they have more, more experience dealing with this particular condition. And the doctors there told her they never would have put stents in, that they would have let her body resolve this naturally. Apparently only about 15% of all women that have this happen survive. The survival rate is very, very low for this type of situation. So she was really lucky to survive, but she was in intensive care for two and a half weeks, a lot longer than they thought she would be. Um, now, right out of surgery, they gave her, they were feeding her beef, beef stroganoff. 
if you can believe that, that's what they give her and Jello. Um, so we're talking about chemicals. They're giving somebody who's in the hospital because of chemicals more chemicals when they're right outside of surgery. There was actually no nutrients being given to her the entire time she was in the hospital, which is very disturbing, as you can imagine. So when I started working with her husband, I just told him to get some wheatgrass in her first thing, because wheatgrass is chlorophyll, and wheatgrass has all the essential B vitamins and minerals, like magnesium and potassium and calcium and all the essential building block amino acids, uh, it's a blood cleaner and a blood builder, so it would not, it not only helps detox the blood and get the toxins out of the blood. Remember, all disease has two root causes, toxins and nutritional deficiencies. So wheatgrass will not only help get toxins out of the blood, it'll draw and bind to toxins like heavy metals and bacteria and viruses, it'll draw it out of the body, but it'll also build the blood and add in tons of nutrients into the body. So I said, just start giving her wheatgrass and the minute he started giving her wheatgrass, her turnaround improved dramatically. I mean, dramatically. She, and if anyone's ever had a heart attack, you or been around somebody who has, you will know that what happens is a person all of a sudden can't move. So you take somebody like my friend, who's go go go, 24 hours a day, never stops, to literally not being barely being able to sit up in bed without getting out of breath. Having to literally walk four steps gasping for air. That's what happens with a heart attack. It's very, very frightening. And um, she ended up recovering. Uh, and she's still recovering. She's going to be a whole year before, you know, she's going to, recovery takes a long time. She's, she's in physical therapy and most of the people she's in physical therapy with are in their seventies or eighties or sixties. And she's pretty much usually the youngest person. And occasionally somebody will come through that's around her age or a little, or even a little younger. A woman came in the other day that was 30 years old who had just had a heart attack. But I want to talk about why this happened to my friend. So you might be listening to this going, wow, that's so terrible, that's so scary, I hope that never happens to me, I should go get my heart checked. You might be thinking all those things. So here's what I wanna tell you about this. My friend did many, many things her whole life that contributed to this. And I know for a fact, if she hadn't have done those things, she wouldn't have had a heart attack. So one of those things is, Uh, one of those things is she has, she took a, she admittedly said she has probably taken over a hundred rounds of antibiotics in her lifetime, if not more. She was taking antibiotics on a regular basis beginning in childhood. Her mom gave her antibiotics for everything. And as she went through life, anytime something would go wrong, she would take antibiotics. Now, what I want to tell you about antibiotics is they've gradually become stronger and stronger over time. And most people are aware of this because uh, you might see it on the nightly news or you read about it. Antibiotics have to keep getting stronger because the virus, the, the bacteria that they're designed to kill keep mutating and getting stronger too. So that, you know, remember we're, we're forever mutating organisms. Our cells are always mutating and, and, and replacing. And that's just the nature of being a human being. So 
the bacteria inside us is always mutating. And when you give antibiotics to, for one thing, um, those bacteria over time will mutate and become stronger. So as you know, pharmaceutical companies have to keep coming out with stronger and stronger antibiotics. Now, here's how antibiotics work in case you don't really know. They kill all the bad bacteria, which is, it can be a good thing, but at the same time, they kill all the good bacteria. And the only reason any of us are alive right now is because of the good bacteria in our bodies. If you don't have good bacteria, you have no immune system. And if you don't have an immune system, you die. So good bacteria is everything. And the quantity and the quality of your good bacteria is everything. That determines your immune system. Your entire immune system depends on good bacteria. So every single time you take one, just one round of antibiotics, five days, seven day round of antibiotics, you're killing off all the good bacteria inside your, you know, you know, not every last one, but most of the good bacteria. And then what happens is your body is left in the negative. So you, you feel better initially because it kills off all the bad bacteria, but the good bacteria is in the negative. And if you never build that good bacteria count up again, if you don't bring it back into the positive by doing specific things to do it, you have to do specific things to bring your good bacteria level up. If you don't ever do that and you don't ever do specific things, you remain in the negative. And guess what happens when you remain in the negative and that good bacteria is in the negative? Over time, your body gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So you go from having one round, one cold a year to two to three to four to five. And that bronchitis you get, that you get the antibiotics for, just keeps coming and it doesn't go away and that cough doesn't go away and you feel like you feel like you, your body can't heal at all unless you, you have antibiotics for it. And this is how my friend was living her life. Every single time the littlest thing went wrong, she would get antibiotics. She told me she's probably been on an antibiotics for an average of four to five times a year her whole life. Now, obviously, that's not good. Anybody can understand that that's not good for the body because remember if it's not a nutrient it's not healing or helping the body and antibiotics are the furthest thing from a nutrient now in a life or death situation if something's going to save your life I say go for it if an antibiotics gonna save your life and you're about to die take the antibiotic always 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 do what's gonna save your life that is truly what I believe and I will tell everybody that but the thing is, is most people aren't in life or death situations when they take antibiotics. Most people are taking antibiotics because they feel uncomfortable or they don't feel good for a few days. Now, and, and they don't trust their body's ability to heal because they've never really tested it. So I'll give you another example. I haven't had an antibiotic in my own body for probably 16 or 17 years, I don't remember, but it's been at least 16 years. And I will tell you that when you stop taking antibiotics and you make a conscious effort to not take antibiotics anymore, and then you get sick for the first time, it can, it can be a little scary. You, you, could want, you start to wonder, I wonder if my body will be able to handle this. I wonder if I'm going to be able to feel better. Maybe my body's not strong enough or capable enough to heal. 
And now if you're somebody like me that always suffered from asthma for many years, the first thing that happens to you is you can't breathe. Like if you get a cold, it goes to your chest and you, your chest gets filled with mucus and you can't breathe. And then it turns into a hacking cough and all these things go through your head and you get a lot of anxiety about not being able to breathe and having a hacking cough for two months that doesn't go away. And see, what's so interesting is when you learn what to do to heal your body and to give your body the nutrients and strength it needs to heal, you can't believe how fast your body recovers on its own. I mean, not only that, ironically, when you stop taking antibiotics for things, you stop getting sick as often. And then you start to wonder, huh, is it the antibiotics that are actually weakening my body and making me more susceptible to things? And I'm getting sick 10 times more often than I would if I didn't take antibiotics ever. And then, then what happens is you go a year without ever getting sick and then two years and then three years and then four years. And then, then what happens is you can't even remember the last time you were sick. And I know this sounds crazy to some people listening because they're sick all the time or at least several times a year and so are their kids. But I'm telling you that's what starts to happen. But my friend never had a chance to test that on herself because she's never allowed herself to try to heal on its own. It, she's never trusted her body to heal on its own. So let's, now if for a moment you understand that antibiotics weaken, weaken the immune system, that would mean the antibiotics weaken the cell weaken the cell membranes that would mean weakening the blood vessels weakening the arteries weakening the organs ability to function properly so now just think about how much antibiotics weaken the body now you're starting to see why maybe her arteries became weaker her blood vessels became weaker okay now let's add in another thing she was doing every day which was taking benadryl you know that over-the-counter antihistamine that everyone takes and they don't think anything about it well antihistamines are a drug and Benadryl is a drug and Benadryl is not a nutrient and remember if it's not a nutrient it shouldn't be in the body in the first place that means it's a toxin or a chemical so uh, Benadryl is definitely not a nutrient again if it's gonna save your life take it for sure but if it's not saving your life and it's just taking away some uncomfortable symptoms that could easily be taken away in more natural ways, then don't take it. And my friend was taking it every day. And she was not only taking it every day to prevent symptoms, she was taking it when she would drink alcohol because if she drinks alcohol, she breaks out in a rash. And she found out years ago that to prevent herself from breaking out in a rash, she would take Benadryl and Benadryl would prevent her from breaking out in a rash. So imagine what that means. If you're breaking out in a rash from alcohol, which is very often because of the chemicals, the flavors, the preservatives, and the sulfites in the alcohol, not actually even the alcohol itself. So if you're breaking out in a rash from the alcohol and you're taking Benadryl, to prevent yourself from breaking out in a rash, imagine what that combination does. Imagine what that combination does to your cells, to your, to your, your immune system. Now add in the fact that my friend was drinking two large cups of coffee a day, 
which was increasing her cortisol production, which meant that her cortisol levels were through the roof. And she, remember, she's already, she's already a very fast moving person who already runs on a lot of cortisol. And if she already runs on a lot of cortisol, what that cortisol does, excess cortisol turns into toxins in your body and it puts a lot of added stress into your entire nervous system and your circulatory system and it puts a lot of added stress on your heart. So if you're somebody that runs on cortisol 24-7, you've got caffeine going through your veins, you have sugar going through your veins, she ate a lot of sugar and she ate a lot of bad foods. She would tell you she ate healthy. She didn't eat healthy though. And this is, most people will say they eat healthy. Most people think of themselves as very healthy eaters, by the way. I've rarely spoken with anybody who didn't think of themselves as a healthy eater. <laughs> and, and that is, it makes, always makes me laugh because people really do think of themselves as healthy eaters when they're not. They don't even know the first thing about what really, really, really healthy is. I called myself a healthy eater too in the past. When I look back at what I was eating, it's a joke because, but I would have told you 20 years ago that I was a very healthy eater, a very conscious eater. And it was not even close to being healthy. So she didn't eat healthy. She ate a lot of sugar, which destroys the bacteria in the stomach. It feeds bacteria and viruses which feeds the toxic load in our system and it feeds vir uh, fungus and yeast and all those things contribute to contribute to a weakening of the body's cells immune system tissues bones uh, everything cardiovascular system so the body just gets weaker and weaker and weaker uh, when it's constantly bombarded with a lack of nutrients. So she basically had a lack of nutrients coming into our body most of the day. So she not only was nutritionally deficient, she was filled with toxins from years and years and years of antibiotic use and unresolved viruses and bacteria that was dormant and latent and, and fungus and yeast and overgrowth of all sorts of things in our body. So now is it making more sense as to why maybe somebody like this would have had a heart attack? Although you, you might be listening to this and go, well, I know lots of people like that and they don't have heart attacks and yeah. But what happened is she had a perfect storm of certain genes that got turned on because of her lifestyle, because of her stress levels, because she never knew how to slow down and calm down and meditate and slow her nervous system down. She only had two, two speeds, on and off sleeping or wake and when you're awake you're 100 miles an hour and if you're somebody like that and you this is how you live your life right now i urge you to take take a look at how much stress uh, your and how much cortisol is pumping through your veins all day long a little cortisol is great a little cortisol goes a long way though and when we produce excess cortisol all day long 24 hours a day what that does is it damages our cells and it turns into toxin overload for our body and this is why they say stress is stress causes disease stress really does cause disease because it's excess toxin overload for the body now my friend is going to be okay there's two reasons she's for the first time in her life listening to me even though I've been her friend for 20 years she's never really listened to me she's known me this whole time she knows the information I've give I've tried to help her with her children her children have had health issues 
Um, and you know, people pick and choose, they cherry pick what they want to learn or what they want to hear. And that's just how everybody is. So she would make a few changes here and there with things, but she never took it real seriously. But guess what? When the student is ready, the master appears. And that's just how it is for all of us. When we're finally ready to learn the information or hear the information, all of a sudden the master appears. But the master's been there the whole time. It's just now you're finally ready to see and hear what that master, quote unquote master, has to say. That could be a book, that could be a movie, that could be many people, that could be many, um, whatever it is. It can, whatever you wanna call that master for that situation. I'm not a master and I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying she was finally ready to hear this information. And this is information that I didn't invent. I just pass it on because this is the information that's been passed on to me from thousands of different areas, books, mentors, doctors, researchers, scientists. This is information that's been known for a millennial. Uh, I'm just passing on what works. So she was finally able to listen to me and guess what? When people are worried for their life, it's amazing how well they listen. And unfortunately, I have found that most people aren't ready to listen until they're uh, afraid for their life, basically. Uh, they're, they'll, they're not really to, ready to make real changes. Well, guess what? She's overhauled everything. She overhauled her entire house. Her husband did as well, her children as well. And everybody's going to be 500 times healthier because of it. And now my friend is going to be literally the healthiest version of herself that she's ever been. She's going that not only is she recovering from the heart attack and they're just amazed at her progress, they cannot believe how quickly she's recovering. But I told her, and I believe this, that she's literally going to be healthier than she was ever ever in her life because now she's putting nutrients in her body for the first time in her life. Now she stopped putting the chemicals and the drugs in her body for the first time in her life. Now she understands what it takes for the body to heal and repair, for her heart to get stronger. She believes it. She knows it's true. She's witnessing it. She's feeling it. She's seeing it every day. She can't believe how strong she's getting. She couldn't even walk 10 steps two months ago. And now she's on the treadmill for 30 minutes. And, and that's only in a two-month period of time. That's the miraculous ability of the body. That's the miraculous ability of the heart. So if you don't believe that the heart can heal, it can. The heart can heal. The vessels can heal. The arteries can heal. She's never going to have paper thin artery, arteries again. I told her, don't stop telling people you have this condition. You don't have a condition. You had a bunch of symptoms and a bunch of problems leading up to the symptom, uh, to the symptoms that you were ignoring. You don't have a condition. Your condition's a thing of the past. Now you're going to have a totally bionic body. You're rebuilding your body, going to be stronger, healthier than ever before. You can rebuild your, your heart. You can repair your heart. You can repair the valves, the arteries, the blood vessels. So if you think you can't, you can. If you want to believe you can't, then you won't and you don't have to. But if you want to believe you can, start reading about it. Start educating yourself how the heart repairs naturally, reversing heart disease naturally. Start educating yourself. You're going to see there's thousands of cardiologists out there who know this. They teach it they they they've written books on it they've seen it with their own eyes with their patients this isn't folklore and this isn't make-believe and this isn't fantasy it's just all real but you want to believe what you want to believe so if you want to compartmentalize your your health issues well 
I guess I could heal this, but I probably will never be able to heal that because that's a much bigger problem and that's been going on for way too long. But this newer problem I could probably heal, but the older problem I'll probably never be able to heal or this organ I can heal, but that organ I can't. Well, let me tell you, that's not true. You all of it, you can heal all of it. So it's always up to you. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast on reversing heart disease naturally and and I hope that you got some value from this and maybe some inspiration. And I look forward to sharing my next podcast with you tomorrow, episode 23. And if, you're, if you like what you're hearing, please share it with friends or family. Uh, if you want one podcast a day, email directly to you for 365 days in a, in a row. Just go to theelevatedlifepodcast.com and sign up there. And you can always go to thebodyreset.com and reach out to me with any questions. And I look forward to hearing from you. Please leave comments, ask questions, and participate. And you can find me on Facebook at theelevatedlife.com. Have a beautiful day, and thank you for letting me share this with you. I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. How was school? Good. Can I miss you? What the hell, Mom? What the hell? It's very good. It's very good. Um. What's that for? Fucking mother. What's that? I'm gonna give you. Stay back.